Welcome to the Ali Maz Show, where we focus on human being and spiritual living with a deep inclination for the divine. Together, we delve into the seen and the unseen. We explore what it means to be well and whole from the inside out. Over the last 17 years, I've been focused on how movement, breath, and the power of the mind can liberate us from the template of our conditioning and carve a path to live a truly authentic life. My hope is that my guests will inspire and expand you to continue to choose the life that is yours. Welcome to the Ali Maz Show. Today's guest is Navi Gill, Ayurvedic alchemist and holistic wellness educator and therapist. Her work in healing as a practitioner and a holistic wellness educator is based in her ancestral knowledge of Ayurveda, yoga, and meditation woven with life skills coaching. Navi, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, So Navi and I met, I was trying to think of this, Navi, I feel like 15 years ago? Yeah. 10? No, at least probably 15, give or take. A long, yes, a long time ago when I feel like we were both just sort of starting out in our career path. Um, And over that course of time, you've helped me immensely in my own health and wellness. And so for people that don't know you and the work that you do, I'd love for them first just to hear it in your own words because you do so much. Mm. Um, Yeah. So tell us what you get up to in this lifetime. Oh, well, for the last little bit, um, since 2011, I've been learning, practicing Ayurveda, which encompasses um, yoga, meditation, breath work, pranayam, herbalism, and all of those things together. I've um, built my practice where I help people understand how to practically apply the principles of Ayurveda to their current lifestyle um, in a way that makes sense to um I would say the modern day woes and ailments that we're facing um, because Ayurveda is such a beautiful, vast medicine that has um, ancient history and ancient roots. And a lot of the knowledge, even to myself, um, was never accessible. So after I learned, I kind of wanted to offer it in a way that people with very low capacity and understanding would be able to implement certain practices that would just bring them closer to themselves. And my whole thing is people, one, being in tune with nature and their body's relationship to nature, how the elements impact what's happening inside while it's happening outside and really have autonomy over their own well-being. And I think something is uh, like we experienced in the last three ish years, however long it's been, um, something like the pandemic, having knowledge of your own self and how to be well and how to remedy ailments is, I think, one of the greatest wealths that we can have. And all of us as practitioners are contributing to supporting people in that way. And I think that is um, the true wealth, the true liberation is like knowing how you can heal yourself. And that's what my practice has been about. Um, I'm trained in the classic Panchakarma bodywork therapies as well in Ayurveda. Um, so all of those and Marma therapy, which I um, will administer time to time with my clients when it's needed. And I also like to like share it in event spaces or if someone is having um, a training for their own internal uh, staff or educators. So I'll go in and I'll like teach. Um, so that's been a big part of my sharing of knowledge has been through teaching and supporting clients. 
I have so many questions, but I think let's start first where the inception of this work came in for you. I know you have a deep spiritual life. I also know that Ayurveda yoga is in your lineage. What came first for you in terms of the awakening of on your own spiritual path and then purpose and Dharma coming in and saying, okay, it's Ayurveda. I want to, I want to walk this path. Um, and, and with also tying in with your own family, was Ayurveda something that you grew up with? Was, was it in your household? Did you learn these things from your family, from your aunties? Oh man. Um, I did not. And I was someone who, like so many of us, always felt like I didn't belong. I was a really sensitive child. I always had to, like, um, I would say, present strongly in order to, like, preserve my softness and tenderness. And I definitely didn't grow up in a family that practiced or had language for these practices. So my journey, I would say, as long as I've been conscious, you know, after all these years of like uncovering, it's like, I've always been spiritual. I just didn't have the guidance or the context or the language for it. And I grew up in a family that, you know, um, practiced Sikhi. So that was a big blessing in my life, but I didn't connect to that in a deeper way until I was an adult. And I kind of explored my own, um, path to, to spirituality. And that really came for me it initially started like right after high school. Um, around then, I like many first generation immigrant <laughs> families and children of immigrants, a lot of conflict in my teenage years with my parents and family because I always felt so different and didn't really have that guidance and acceptance and support because I was the oldest. And my parents insisted that I do um, like this well-being meditation course. And that was probably my first like practical experience and application of any of these traditions and knowledge and practice. And that was really transformative for me. And then over the years, I just kind of like, I would say like dabbled in it here and there, but it wasn't like a full-time like yearning. It was like something had shifted and I was like on the train and I was going, but I wasn't like, aware of it or like consciously pursuing it. And for me, I would say my journey really started in, in 2010. And if anyone's listened to any other podcasts that I've been on, I share this story often about, um, my, as you said, spiritual awakening. And that came through loss and grief. Um, I suddenly lost my Nanaji. So that's my maternal grandfather. I was in my last year of um, school at that point, and it was very sudden. It was very unexpected. It was my first experience with losing someone close to me. And I think that's when everything that I knew of as normal life unraveled. And I was really forced to go into the depths of like questioning who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? And really like coming to terms with the fact that like anything that I was trying to do, the reason why it was like incongruent and felt uncomfortable is because that was never my path. And yeah, and then and a trip back home to India um, to go through that process of like doing his last rites and, um, you know, being back in touch with that land is when I started to uncover Ayurveda and 
I visited a spice farm in South India. I believe it was in Kerala. And I just had a out of body or maybe it was like for once very much in my body experience. I I still don't know which one it was, but a really electrifying experience of like being on that land, touching the plants, having someone give language to the ways of healing that I'd always been seeking. And when I learned that day, like that word was Ayurveda, that was like that pivotal moment for me when everything changed. I came back to Canada and started like looking for places that I could train where I could learn. And really, I never looked back um, after that. I love this idea. I feel like I have this visual of you just walking through, like touching all these spices, learning all these things and having it be more of a remembering than anything. Yes, that's exactly um, what it was. It was like, oh, that's the word. I've, I've already known this my whole life, but no one told me that's what it was because I was always as a kid, you know, I was convinced I was a witch. And obviously I'm like, of course. And I was always trying to like mix potions, work with plants, like make my own skincare by mixing things up. So like, it was all just always there. It was just needing support and a container. And I found that when I went back home. And when you came back to Vancouver and I, this is 2010, 2011, what, what was the Ayurvedic Space like in Vancouver? <laughs> Who were you learning from? Were, uh, my assumption it was is it just a whole lot of white people telling you uh, <laughs> and trying to educate you. So I'm just sort of curious, like uh, what that path looked like when you wanted to start to really educate yourself. It was really challenging for me because any formal education and training, if it was outside of India, was um, you know, either in California or it involved me moving away from my family, which at that time I was very much not ready to do. Um, and the training was like costly, lengthy, far away. Um, and I didn't feel like it was spaces where I still fit in at all. And so my first teacher, yes, um, was a lovely, lovely white woman who I have a lot of reverence and love for still um, because she trained uh, with Dr. Vasant Lod, who I then later have gotten the opportunity to learn from and train with. And that I would say he's my Ayurveda guru. So um, I've had the good luck, I would say, of learning from some really beautifully reverent teachers who are very much still connected to tradition, connected to lineage. Um, And I had two of them here in this city that really, at that time, like as a young person on the path, I was only like, I think like 23 or something, um, and seeking, like desperately seeking anything and everything that I could take in. And they were there for me at that time and provided me with that base and that foundation that I needed to continue, um, you know, training deeper on my own. But the landscape was very much that there was a lot of, um, I would say people who have been teaching for a long time and taking up that space. And there was really not a lot of space for one young people, young women, and me coming in as a Punjabi Sikh woman. I definitely always felt 
uh, like I was the only one for a really, really long time, like at least like the last 10 years um, up until very recently when I feel that knowledge and training has become more accessible and more people are seeking it. Um, And I, you know, when you're in such a desperate state to connect to something and you have so much love for it, you find a way and you you just like piece together like what you can get. I I really felt like I I just like took whatever I could get and like built my foundation from that. And I'm very grateful for those really humble beginnings because I still feel like it connected me to the depth and like the teachers that I love so much later down the line. Mm. Yeah. But it it was hard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yes. And here you are, you know, you know, 10, 12, 13 years later um, in the wellness industry. And I know you you talk and act a lot, not just talk about act a lot in the decolonization of the wellness world and space. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the shift for you in really feeling like I, I want to take up space? I, I have a voice. I want to use it from, you know, being a young woman, you know, learning these things that like you said, sort of piecing together all of this information understanding what your offering was, what your purpose was. Um, how did you sort of get from there to now here where you're really feeling like not only am I taking up space, but I have a voice in this and you're sort of deconstructing these spaces. Yeah. Um, I think it came from consistently being in like either learning spaces or event spaces where I felt like the things that I cared about or I represented were never talked about. There was no one who looked like me that had like the, I would say foresight of inclusivity and like, you know, making this knowledge connect back to India, connect back to its roots. It like, it just wasn't there to the degree that I felt like I cared about it. And, you know, you've had your experience through, through the yoga industry and seeing that like, the disconnect from the origins of any of this medicine, like for me, it felt always incomplete. And honestly, it would piss me off. Like I would be like, these people don't look like my mom or my aunties or my grandma or or my friends or people I grew up with. And why is it that these people have all this power and this knowledge and it's being gatekept when my own community, specifically, I can talk about the Punjabi community, like that I grew up with, they didn't even have language for this medicine. They didn't have the ability to practice it, many of them, unless it was passed down in their families, like like folk medicine, rather than the actual like clinical um, uh, practice of it, you know? And, and I think for me, it was just looking at how sick so many of the women that I knew were, and if they had access to this knowledge when they were the age that I was, how much of this could have been prevented and looking at, okay, why, why was it not accessible? Why was it not practiced? Why is it still not accessible? And really, like, it came down to the fact that, you know, colonialism and not just limited to when the British were in India, but like the way that that ideology of like taking um, something and commodifying it and keeping it away from certain other people was still very much practiced as soon as you turn a medicine into a business it's like inevitable that that colonial mindset is the container for that way of practicing and that's all I saw yeah yeah and how do you navigate that now as someone who you know this this 
you're a therapist, you're an educator, this is your business. How do you sort of balance, um, you know, your work with knowing that you're an entrepreneur and, you know, you've just started another business. Um, this is sort of a layered question, but A, how do you balance that? And I know um, you're someone who really has deep reverence for softness and beauty. And how do you balance the the fire of, of um, how you want to change the world and then maintaining, you know, the softness of who you are? Um, so it took me a lot of years of like, feeling like I owed this medicine so much and I had to do my due diligence to make sure it was available and just giving everything I had away and not I never thought of it as like this is a business and I still don't think of it like that it's it's a discovery of my life's purpose but it doesn't mean that the two need to be the same and I think we live in a time where we're very fortunate we have the ability to, you know, have multiple streams of income or multiple streams of anything that we do. So I always, this is like my sacred medicine and my offering in this lifetime. But like when it comes to like work or earning, it's like I I use other things um, to provide those aspects because for me, it was, it wasn't possible honestly, to uh, make this into a, a business per se um, without it impacting the way that I felt about uh, having to like almost sell something. And I hate that. Like for me, it's just, I, I just, ha- my experience has been so deep. My reconnection to it has been so deep. The way that I've been able to learn and how I feel when I practice it's just like, it's too sacred for me. So I just keep it in its own place. And I just offer it when I can. And I think like when it, when it comes down to like, um, you know, earning anything, it's just an equitable exchange of like for time and energy. And um, yeah, does that answer? Does that answer your question? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah, beautifully. And then the next sort of piece of this is like, um, you know, the, uh, you wrote something recently, I think it was in August, um, reclaiming my vessel. Oh, yeah. Um, and I just think it's so beautiful. I've, I've read it many, many times. Um, and you speak to, um, this, this softness and something I love about you, um, and appreciate so much about you, um, is the reverence you have for, for softness and beauty. And those of you that follow Navi online, um, she's always posting gorgeous flowers and things that just invoke, um, to me, the divine and, and femininity and softness. And, um, I think for so many of us, and I'm curious if you're experience of, um, you know, what it means to tend to the softness of who we are, um, in this world. And we were talking earlier, like in this current world, which is a hellscape. (laughs) Um, you know, for me, it came just like this medicine and practicing it and anything that I embody is out of necessity. It's out of necessity to keep this soul of mine intact to this body and for it to feel like it has a purpose here on this earth and um 
you know, like being the thing that we all needed when we were growing up, I think a lot of us are on that path is is very much about that inner child me, like what she would want and need and how I can make that a tangible thing in the world because this is very emotional for me. Um, Like I wrote in that piece, I didn't have that. And the women around me didn't have that luxury. And if they did, it wasn't for very long, you know, because they were thrust into these roles in their life and expectations and it was really hard to watch and it's still really hard for me to watch and I have to like catch myself to not repeat those things and you know I'm a ruled by Venus so everything for me is trying to see invoke embody um, the beauty grow the beauty cultivate the beauty because if I don't, I feel like, like we said, this hellscape of a world um, takes over. And then I'm not doing justice to my soul's purpose because it's it's going to distinguish, it's going to, or extinguish, and it's going to die. And it's very hard to come back from that point. And I've had to do it many, many times. I'm in the process of that right now, like coming back from that death process. Um but it's like you get to a certain point and there's there is no choice but to do the thing that you're here to do and a part of my purpose is yeah to to tap back into that softness and that femininity that I feel like I had to really hide and protect growing up because it was always shamed or it was always taken advantage of and it's like doing it on my own terms where like to me I look at like in in our history or our mythology, um, there was no like a, a soft woman did not mean like a weak woman. It was like that strength and that softness and that fierceness and devotion, like all the things were in one. So it's like, why do I have to only pick one side? I feel all those things at once and I just want to embody them to the depths that I can and um hope that my soul is happy with that so beautiful and I've heard you speak on this before this idea of of too muchness you know um when we feel it all and I also was a very sensitive child um I think this is really where I connect with a lot of the things that you say because I feel it really deeply in my own self and the little one in me and I know we both have a deep passion for for Uh, supporting young women Mm -hmm. and teen girls and female identifying young people Mm -hmm. and um how are you able to sort of handle the totality of who you are or embrace the totality of who you are because I think as women like you said we're sort of just allowed to be one thing you know maybe two (laughs) but really at the end of the day, we're, we're all things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm curious as well as, as, you know, as you stepped more into, this is all of me, this is all of Navi, how you were perceived or maybe received by the women in your family. Cause it, it feels quite revolutionary, um, you know, to step into the fullness of who we are. I'm still in that process. 
Um, but how was I, I, I am still not fully received. I think that I would trigger, trigger a lot of people in my family. And I still do because I represent so many things for them that I see in them that maybe they were not fully able to um, live out or carry through. And maybe they're still in the process and will as well one day. But I think it's like when you see anything, you know, that you've had to struggle so much for and it looks like it came really easily to someone else, there is that sense of... um, yeah, like it, it, it is a trigger. I know that that happens for me. So as I've gotten older, I, I understand much more. But I think like me trying to find that perfect way of embodying my totality, I'm still uncovering parts of myself. But it's like more than ever before. I'm in a place where it's anywhere that doesn't have space for that. I don't even care for it. Like it's, I'm not longing to be in any spaces that don't hold space for that. So that's like in my interpersonal relationships, any intimate relationships, my friendships, my families, my business, anything. I, and a lot of the time that does come with an opportunity cost. Sometimes that means I don't get that opportunity uh, to uh, showcase my work or my business or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. But I think authenticity is so important to me. And, um, I, after you spend so many years feeling like you've had to like suppress parts of yourself for so long, where it's like, it's, been painful for me. It, it's made me physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually sick. Once you've hit that place and come out of it and visited it again in different parts of my life, I never want to go back to that. Like nothing is worth that for me, losing my sense of self, losing my health, losing my well-being. And as someone who, and you know this too, anyone who is the first in their family to do particular things, it always comes with challenges and you're, it feels like we've been fighting to be seen, fighting to be heard, fighting to be accepted. Um, And I think I just kind of came full circle to understand that the most important thing for me is that I accept myself. And I'm still in the process of that journey because it means a lot of deconditioning of, of things that we have been indoctrinated with. And that even if I don't believe those things and they go against my value system, if I've only seen those as an example, if I was only taught those things, I'm having to go through my own process of letting go, healing and reprogramming them. So it's kind of like you get to a point of like uh, the only thing that matters is is if I accept myself, then I attract those types of people around me. And that's what I've had such a painful but really rewarding journey that like now in my inner circle, it's I'm on the same like frequency as the people that are close to me. But it was very painful yeah. and hard. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think you've touched on something that's so important that when you choose yourself, first of all, you can choose yourself. And that's something I certainly didn't know um, as a young person. I was like, okay, I'll just wait for everyone else. (laughs) Everyone else is cute to say you're worthy, you're valid, um, you're chosen. And I think it, yeah, it took me to probably my my mid twenties to late twenties where I I sort of woke up and thought, well, what if, Mm -hmm. what if I chose myself? What if I decided uh, what my value was? What if I uh, was the one who, who could save me? Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, that changed everything. Um, And that's all nice and great, but then you have to sort of walk this path (laughs) away from what you knew. And it is painful because you do lose people uh, and you will disappoint you lose yourself um, as that person that you yeah. were. And that's what I mean about having to constantly go through this death process. Like there's no choice. You know, if you want to get to the root of complete embodiment, it really means dying over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. The, the I have a lot of Scorpio in my chart. And so I do love, I love a good death rebirth process. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. My my husband's like, not why are you always in a process? I'm like, because I'm just always in a process. There's never not a process yeah, yeah, yeah. happening. <laughs> um, but walking this path, uh, and yeah, grieving the past selves, and and to a certain degree, you know, my I felt like my family had to grieve some of my past selves. Oh, yeah. Like I'm not that anymore. Um, and it is painful, and I think that's why a lot of people don't do it because it's so terrifying to think if I unzip this mask or this this identity that I'm wearing, well, who am I? Um, and that really is the work. And then on the other side of it, mm-hmm. um, you know, is are the people that um, you connect with, that love you, that see you. Um, but, you know, uh, there's this quote that I love. It's like your old life uh, or your new life is going to cost you your old one. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that both of, both you and I have seen that many, many times and it's not just a one time process. No, I totally thought, okay, like I did it. Yay. I'm on the other side. Everything's all good now. And it's like, no, that was just the first time. And then you realize it's, it's constant. And I think, you know, with Ayurveda and the way that I look at the world through that lens is that everything is a season. And if I'm in harmony with the season, that is me following um, how nature intended for us to live and that each season has its energy, each season has its purpose. And, you know, it's very fitting, like now we're going into winter and winter is the season of letting go, letting everything that needs to die, die off and going into deep rest. Because without that, how can you cultivate the optimal grounds for spring? You know, we just expect to be in our constant bloom, to be in our constant um, growth, but it's not possible because there's so many parts of us in order to make space, we have to let them die off. And, um, as someone who always hated change growing up, like it was like, I can look back on like my elementary school, like journal entries or like assignments. And it was always about being so fearful of change because for me, it involved grief. It meant loss. It meant, facing this death of some sort and as a highly sensitive child where you're like no one's going to support me through that so I hate change it's like coming to terms with the fact that the change is the only thing that's constant um and I struggle with it still even with all this knowledge and all this experience I'm like I still am in discomfort when it happens but it's just there's an acceptance for it knowing that it's inevitable 
Yeah. Yeah. I so, I so relate to that. And you've taught me a lot about this living seasonally and um, what that means, not only just the food you put in your body, but what you do. Um, And even living in LA, we don't really, I used to think, well, we don't get seasons here. We do get seasons here. It's, it's cold outside this morning and the leaves are falling in my backyard and, you know, nature's always reflecting um, how to act and align with and Mm -hmm. our own bodies, our own menstrual cycles are showing Mm -hmm. us this. And I think um, as women, especially uh, in condition as little girls, it's like to be summertime all the time, right? Put a smile on, be happy. Um, And, 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 I didn't really have a lot of examples um, in my own life of of people being able to handle my fall and winter. That wasn't really allowed. And so um, I never saw it. I didn't see women, you know, letting go or being okay with change. I just saw franticness of control and compulsion to worry and stress and hold on like with a death grip to life. I thought that's what being a woman was. (laughs) You have to keep it all together and look beautiful while you're doing it. Um, And don't let anything slip. And so my process, and especially as I age, is really understanding the beauty of these seasons and letting things go and being in deep surrender yeah. and seeing the beauty in, in my fall and winter as as a metaphor, as symbolically. And then also um, the things you've taught me through Ayurveda and how to actually take care of myself mm-hmm. on a physical mm-hmm. level too. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. It's like the only thing that gives like my very tender heart solace to know that nature was created to be that way and nature created us. So how can I, if I, if I believe in higher power, if I believe in the divine, if I believe in God, goddess, like how can I not have faith in that process of, of the cycles? And that's, that's kind of what gives me solace to be able to go through it because yeah, it really freaking sucks, man. When you're going through it, it's very isolating. It's very lonely you know, you, you, we've seen this in our lives and, you know, over the last 15 or however many years we've been friends, like that cultivation of your inner circle and how every time you go through this cycle, it gets whittled down more and more and more and more. And like, if you're away from your family or if you're away from your friends, you feel more away from yourself. It's very difficult to want to go through and accept those cycles of nature and to even see the beauty in them. And that's why, like, I don't expect people to be like running, jumping, skipping with joy through these death cycles. Like it's unrealistic, you know, especially in like what we've been been experiencing, how polarizing life is right now and how much disparity there is. It's like one more thing, you know, to think about. No one's like excited about that. But <laughs> I think I just look at it like spring always comes, come what may, you know? So mm. spring is going to come for me. I just have to like hang in there and, and do my part. Yeah. And right now yeah. that's yeah. rest. Yeah, same. Yeah, and I, I think also what I'm I'm realizing, even say in the 15 years we've known each other, you know, I've had a lot of friends fall in and out in those 15 years, and something that feels and I talk about this actually a lot with my husband, his friends, and his college friends. It's like you really start to see the ones that have been able to withstand their winters, you know, or you really start to see the ones that have been running 
um, running, running from their pain because you can only run so far. I mean, we can get a, away with a lot in our 20s, but as you start to enter into your 30s, you know, on a physical level, your body just cannot take it anymore. Yeah. And, um, you know, Rumi says the cure for pain is the pain, you know, when yeah. we turn toward ourselves um, and and how frightening that can be. But being able to withstand um you know, many, many deaths is, I think, uh, a true testament of a life well lived. Mm -hmm. And it just becomes more obvious to me, the people in my life, even people I'll meet on, you know, like just in a quick interaction, you can kind of tell who's, (laughs) who's withstood their winters over the years and who hasn't, who's running. And I know for you, because you're skilled at this, you're trained in this, you can see it in people's eyes, faces. postures you know you can tell when someone is embodied and someone who's living upstairs in their head and it's just a fascinating thing especially as we age yeah absolutely and you know I think one thing is like after all these years of like learning and then myself being my greatest example of going through this journey on like mental physical emotional spiritual health and well-being and trying to heal is just having grace for people, no matter what season they're in. But then also knowing I can have grace, but I don't need to take it on or I don't need to like have this person at a very close proximity if we're not at the same frequency and just be okay with that, you know? And everyone is just trying to do their best and get through this. And I just always hope and pray for the best for the people I interact with, the people I work with, people I might just meet or pass by, like, you know, I hope that they have the courage to pursue their best life despite it all. And that's just it. That's just it. And all we're doing is being vocal, sharing our medicine, sharing what we know, and whoever needs it can pick it up and carry it and use it as they need and use it as they will rather than try to control how people should, should be on this journey. I think a lot of the times as facilitators and instructors, um, there's this expectation that their journey should have a certain end result or they should practice in this particular way. And I know that that used to be there for me. Um, from my, from my teachers, there was an expectation on how to carry this medicine and then when I just allowed myself non-judgment and grace when I was at that rock bottom place, it really allowed me to have a different perspective on like how I teach and how I share and what expectation I put out there for people on how they should heal themselves. Because that's that, that part is none of my business. That's everyone that's that's. That's who they are as a person, the gifts that they might carry, their karmic destiny. All I'm here to do is give them some suggestions, some inspiration, some support tools, and it's up to them how they carry that on. And I think as practitioners, that's a really important skill to have. Yeah. 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 I think that one came later too. in in, in my work, it's like when you first start feeling good and their life starts changing, you're like, everyone needs to be doing these yeah, things. Yeah. This can help you so much. I'm going to change my family and I'm going to tell everyone to go to therapy and I'm going to, you know, um, and now I just don't give a shit what people do. It's like, okay, I'm, if you, if you, if you want it, it's here. Like, yeah, you know, everyone just trying to survive. So 
if you feel like something is like, you know, explore all the medicine. It's I feel like it makes itself available to you because that is where you're at. So whether that's Ayurveda or whether that's something else, um, look at it, explore it, you know, journey with it and see where it takes you. What in your life uh, right now, I know for, for me over the years, sometimes, you know, I, uh, there was an imbalance of how I was giving <laughs> the medicine, giving my life force out into the world because I just wanted to change everyone. Yes. Right? And then this shift happens where you go, oh, wait a second. <laughs> None of this works if I don't work. Yeah. Um, and that's always, and you know this, I come to you and I'm really, I came to you a couple of years ago and I was like, I can't even get food down. Yeah. I'm so stressed. Like I had moved across the country. It was like, you know, I was starting from square one <laughs> again. And and I loved what you said, like just having grace for yourself, like in those rock bottom moments and reaching out to your community. And you're that, you are a person in my community that when, you know, I hit my knees on a, on a health, on a health um, journey, it's like, oh shit, I should know better, da, 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 shaming myself, et cetera. And then just being like, nope, I'm here. I'm going to accept where I'm at and I'm going to ask for help. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if, if you resonate with that or, or you feel like, um, you know, what does it look like in terms of how you share your medicine and how you actually take your own, <laughs> your own medicine? Well, I think we all go through that journey of years of our life where we just want to give and we want to give and we want to give. And I think for me being uh, a Punjabi woman, it's like one thing that we're taught for sure is that our job is to give and to give to everyone else first. And that gives us our sense of self-worth. And I did that, you know, growing up, I did that in my 20s. I did that in, in, in my relationships in my 20s. I did that. And then it really came to a point where I had nothing else left to give. And my body started to break down. It's like it was like the dam burst. Like I had suppressed so much so and thought that I was uh, doing really well because I was really high functioning and I had all the awareness. I had all the tools I was practicing. But really my practices at that point were just keeping me um, from imploding. You know what I mean? Like it was just keeping everything at bay and counteracting all the suppression and the the stress and the anxiety and the worry and the fear that I was going through. And it was really good. Like it kept me going through that time period with like minimal awareness of how bad things really were. And um, I'm grateful for that cushion that I had. But as soon as like a little bit of the practice fell away, it hit me all at once. And I would say that I went through like a great death and a great deterioration. And I had not like I had no choice. I had nothing left to give. I had no inspiration. I had no desire to share in the way that I was sharing. Um, And it really was about I'm a big, big believer that everything is energy. And for me, if I am not in my authentic authenticity, I'm not in integrity with how I'm living versus what I'm doing and what I'm speaking about. It, it's like physically impossible for me to show up and do something. So in that sense, it became really easy. But the opportunity cost was that I had to disappear for a while. I wasn't accessible. 
I wasn't in taking up space. I wasn't like taking those opportunities that I could have. But at that point, like work didn't really matter. It was more so just like I have to bring myself back from this um, soul sickness, essentially. And I'm still in the process of that because every every month I uncover something new that is like a byproduct of those stressful times in my life and um exploring all the different things like I always tell my clients this too is find the recipe that works for you and that recipe will change like you know when one aspect heals you're gonna have to put something else in there like for years it was very like consistent for me where it's like I went to talk therapy I had my Ayurveda practice I had my meditation practice I had my spiritual community at the time and that recipe worked until it didn't And no matter what I did, if I tried to go back and make that same recipe work, it wasn't helping my body. It was bringing up so many other things for me because I had, I had like gotten what I needed to get out of it and it needed to be on the back burner and like I had to come up with a new recipe. And that's when I really like started to explore TCM, acupuncture, you know, somatic therapy, um, so many different other modalities and and yeah asking for help is like as as a uh a Taurus and uh it's like asking for help is death to to us but I had no choice but to and I still struggle with it but I have less shame around it because I see like look at the world we live in. How can I possibly have these expectations of myself after doing so much and thinking that I can still sail through, like like you said, only in my spring and my summer, being glowy and shiny and charismatic and supporting everyone else. Now, when I shut down, it's like I'm shutting down you know, I'll reach out and let my like inner circle know, like, this is where it's at. These are my, these are my energetic boundaries. And if you don't hear from me, is that we have us establish a certain level of trust where it doesn't impact our relationship, where I think in your twenties, it's very touch and go like, oh, if I don't hear from my friend for X amount of time, like, are we on good terms? Now it's just like, everyone's experienced this, like I said, hellscape. And we're just kind of like, it's all good. Like I'm here when you're ready and I know that you're going to be there for me when I'm ready. And if you're not, I'm okay with that too. Because the most important thing is that I bring myself back to myself in, in, in a way that I'm healthy and thriving and not just surviving. Because then you're not getting the best of me anyways, whether that's as your teacher, as your practitioner, as your friend, as your sister, it's you're only getting this like fragment of me that's depleted. And I just don't want to show up for the people in my life in that way. And I most importantly don't want to show up for myself in that way. And I just have to constantly remind myself, you know, we are ancestors in training, we're elders in training. so what do I want my energetic like auric field to be when people come into contact with me what do I want it to like reflect and radiate and if it's not that then it means I still have a lot of work to do and that work is constant but it's just that's that's a part of my purpose that's important to me is 
how do I want to be? And, and when I'm not here on this earth anymore, like what will people say and what will they remember? And, and how did I make people feel? Mm, yeah. And it's, a, and it's a necessity, you know, this work, it's not a luxury. And mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. um, the body is such a barometer, especially the more work you do and the sort of more refined you get in your own practices. It's like, I can't even, if I'm out, side past like 7 p.m. I'm like I'm gonna turn into a pumpkin like I can't be in this loud space yelling over music like I can't I just it's and it seems dramatic to like a lot of my friends are like you're such a grandma but energetically like uh currently in my life I cannot give my life force like that period no because maybe once a month but I'll I'll need like a week and a half to recover (laughs) it seems so dramatic to people but it's not it is not yeah. yeah, there's so many things at play. It's that we're more overstimulated than ever. So our nervous systems are depleted as ever, but they're expected to function at its like level that we've never had before required of us before. And everything's heightened. Our sensitivity is heightened, but also the triggers are very heightened. So the result of those two coming together is also very quick. You know what I mean? It's like the energetic hangover for me is immediate. And I just know it's like, is it is that experience or that thing or that relationship? Like, is it worth what I'm going to feel and the, what I'm going to have to go through to like counteract and heal that? A lot of the time it's not. And it's really like our capacity just isn't the same. And the goal is, yes, to increase our capacity. That is, I think, optimal health is when you have more capacity that reduces stress. Um, but now it's also just like in that capacity, I just choose to do different things. And I know what I like and I like what I like and what I don't like, I don't like, you know, and I'm OK with that. And yeah, people think it's difficult or it's like annoying, but it's like then I just find different friends and different people who also want to do the same things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was speaking at a high school yesterday and a lot of the questions were kind of like themed in this way. Like, what if your friends don't support you? I'm like, get new friends. Yeah, literally cut them off. (laughs) The trouble of like moving through the next five, 10 years with this. And those are the things that I wish someone told us. Like when we were in high school, it would have saved decades of heartache. You know what I mean? If if we were just taught that that choosing yourself, like we hear the words self-love, self-acceptance all the time. It's like we've been self-loved to death in on the internet. But in practicality, no one like I was never taught what that meant. No. I still don't know what that means. I'm uncovering it in my own way. But self-acceptance and self-love, it's like if you're very fortunate that you had people model that for you, it's, it's, it's innate or you've learned to do it. But many of us, and especially as people who identify as women, <laughs> it's just not something that is there. It's, it's a concept. It's an ideology in our mind. But to actually do it and to let go of all of the consequences that come when you choose yourself, like other people's judgments, criticisms, other people feeling like you're being selfish, all those things. It's like you, 
have to battle through those things and like still at the end of the day, choose you because that's the only thing that matters. And I just come to it. Like, like I said earlier in the podcast, like if all the things fall away at the end of the day, I'll still have myself and I will attract the company and the people and the opportunity and the things that are aligned with me at that frequency. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's you and you at the end of the day or or you and God Mm -hmm. and and then whoever else wants to come to the party. But I think, um, this idea of self-love is, I mean, I've devoted my whole life to it. Um, and still, like you said, is still sort of this moving target most days. And I was talking to my teacher about this and feeling, you know, looking at the hellscape of the world and looking at war and, you know, she kept kind of pointing it back to like, well, like, let's look at the war within, the war within, the violence within. And I'm like, oh, and it's like, again, still, like, still, yep, still, still, what is the war you are waging within yourself and the moments where, you know, and, and where the balance of, or I'm being, you know, a compassionately in service to others but not compassionately in service to myself still when I'm not I come home from a month of work you know and and want to hit the ground running the next day you know it's like oh like, yeah wait that? a second why do I want to do why is that yeah what do I have to prove you know mm-hmm. yeah and we're, we're we're living in you know this late stage capitalistic patriarchal white supremacist society that is not giving us any opportunity to rest and so could you imagine if all women actually said oh I'm gonna just listen to nature and and be at one with with my menstrual cycle and rest when I need to like the the world couldn't function not the way it's functioning right now you know we need people you know I hope I, so too I want to see that yeah, in my lifetime <laughs> I think that we're headed in that direction and I hope I I know that the young people are just like the thing that inspires me and I feel so much hope because all these movements have always been you know spearheaded by young people but like this is a new wave of young people and I hope that it's more sustainable for them and they keep it going until this way that we know of as the world and this like we said hellscape no longer exists and we can do those things anyone not just women but anyone who needs care the care is provided it's they don't have to struggle for it and the tools are there the community is there the food is there the nature is there everything is available and we just honor that and live actually live and be alive rather than running through this life and then collapsing you know because like that's all I see I I see very few people who are actually alive and like making every moment or every day or as much as they can like this like rich experience in in the simple and the mundane to like the extravagant and that is all because we're so focused on surviving and to be able to do that is a luxury and a privilege but I hope that the direction that we're headed of of collapsing these old systems and when we build the new ones, it that's what this new world looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I I have hope too. And I think that anyone that works with young people uh sustains that hope. And maybe you hear this too, but I get a lot like, oh, this next generation and they're on their phones and they're da 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 da. And I'm like, it's actually like sometimes the opposite when I'm working with young people. I have to tell the adults that are helping me to get off their phones and, and be present with the young people and 
you know, it's like these kids need therapy. And then I'm like, it's actually their parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and these spaces, like these are just innocent young people coming into And they're movie. just voicing um, and being aware of the things that all the other previous generations suppressed and turned into sickness yeah. in their bodies and their minds. Exactly. Yeah, they're just these little barometers for all of it, feeling it all or mirroring it, mm-hmm. mirroring it back to us. And um, but the 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 depth in which this generation, I mean, first of all, they have a language mm-hmm. like I don't think you and I, I didn't know what anxiety was. I didn't have the word anxiety when I was 15, having a panic no. attack, like outside of my whatever human like humanities class. Yeah. Um I didn't have the language now. There's such a language. And sometimes the pendulum does swing where I see teens really overly identify with the language. Yeah, and yeah, it sort yeah. of becomes the, the identity. And, um, but really what I see, I, I led a Girl of Honor retreat after like a sort of COVID hiatus this year. And it was like, oh, just sunshine, healthy food, <laughs> being off your phone, real conversation, movement, and like we can get a lot accomplished in one week (laughs) with young people with all of us we all need those things right those are the doc those are the doctors um and it's just it's so simple um at its core Mm -hmm. at its core it really is and it's about getting through all the shit that we've created for ourselves to get back to you know ayurveda is all about looking at the root and as someone who also has Scorpio placements. It's always about the depth. It's always about excavating and digging that little hole and getting to the core of something. And until I do that, I'm not satisfied. And I think that's what I love about Ayurveda so much is like, there's always a root cause. Everything else is just a symptom. So if we spend all of our energy, time, money, treating the symptom, it's just temporary relief. And until we address the root, which we said is like colonialism, capitalism, patriarchy, all those sicknesses, um, and dismantle them, we're not going to, we're not going to have the ultimate solution. And I think we're well on our way to that and how we can contribute is just by being aware at the microcosm level in our own life and our own existence and our own embodiment, um, and, and, and shift those things in ourselves and taking up space, having the hard conversations. Um, and, and we are, when we talk about like race, religion, gender, all these things that everyone's like, whoa, 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 that's too much. And it's like, but it's not, it's really just about having conversations, having respect and openness and open-mindedness for other people and their experience and just letting people live their life the way that nature intended for them to live it. And, you know, everyone just needs to, I think, also mind their business a little bit more and shift that energy inward because we are really, each of us contribute to to the state of this world with our energy and our frequency and I always want to check myself like what am I contributing yeah um yeah and you're contributing so much it's so beautiful to to see the evolution of what you offer this world and you're someone who I greatly admire and greatly respect and sort of look to um in terms of um, how you, how you are so deeply in service, um, of, of both things, the world and yourself. Um, and I think, uh, and you're deeply intuitive and 
um, I just, I really respect the way you're able to operate in the world. And I know that it's not always easy. Um, and I love that you're able to be transparent, speak about the, the many deaths and the challenges and, you know, the loneliness and sometimes walking a spiritual path. But um, I just, when I, when I see it, um, and it's not just me watching you online, but feeling you and feeling into the the presence that you bring. I just, um, there's so much integrity. You're such a person of high integrity um, and authenticity. And I just feel really inspired by that. And sometimes when I'm doing things, I'm like, what would Navi think? I'm like, what would Navi do here? Like, I just really feel like you're such a light in the world. And I think, doesn't that, what, isn't that what your name means? Something to do with light, it is, right? It yeah. is. My, my full name is Navdeep, which means yeah. new light. And... Yeah, that's when I had my f- awakening and finally connected to the meaning of my name. I was like, oh, it always made sense. It was always there. And and thank you so much for seeing all those beautiful things. Um, it's I receive that, even though it's always hard for me to <laughs> um, receive. But I feel the same way about you. And I've always, always said this to you when I first saw that you created Girlvana, it was just something that I felt was so revolutionary at that time. We didn't have that. And as someone who was struggling in how was I going to, you know, at that time, trying to discover like if yoga was a part of my path and what that looked like. And you were the only person that I felt um connected with and inspired and really inspired by your vision and to see how it's grown and sustained and become so much deeper, you know, at at this Mm -hmm. stage. And what I see coming out from your retreats is such a blessing. And I always think like, man, if I had this when I was 16, again, like so much heartache could have been prevented. And, and I love that at the stage of like going through so many things in your own life, like you are still finding this space and creating this beautiful experience to give back in this way, because I think it's really easy, like sometimes in our own life, and which is what I'm going through, when there's not anything left to give, it's hard to come back to that place of wanting to be in community. And the fact that you still do it and you do it in so many beautiful ways. And now this podcast is just, yeah, I I love that. And and I love watching how every season you're discovering a new depth and a way of not just creating community, because I see you doing that all the time, but like being of it in it and sharing it with the world and the inclusivity and your commitment to including those things that feel and seem hard to talk about in your work. You're one of the few platforms that I see that doesn't shy away from talking about the things that are happening in the world. And that's something that I admire and and I'm so grateful for and grateful to call you my friend that isn't afraid to um, put your neck on the line, you know. Mm-hmm. And and a Thank lot of you. people who've benefited from the privilege of being able to teach modalities and practices that are not of their own culture and of their own lineage uh, still don't have the courage. And, and the fact that you 
always do is is something that I want to I want to highlight for sure. Thank you. Thank you. I'm also receiving that deeply and it means the world coming from you and I yeah it's still something I struggle with constantly and I've always been open about that you know being in this yoga world and this wellness industry and living in LA um, there's so much bullshit in this industry and I've been a part of the bullshit you know um, in many ways too and been a part of perpetuating the 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 white girl and yoga tights you know mm-hmm. throughout my work um and I'm constantly grappling <laughs> with the the decision to teach yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the core, you know, when we talk about the root of things, you know, my heart is is with um, inspiring young people and the modality helps yeah. and shifts. And I think, you know, I get in trouble all the time. I posted something about Palestine and I had, you know, I had lots of different comments and things, you know, it's not easy to, to be outspoken. It's not easy to, you know, um, to to yeah to use your platform in a way that that is going to appease all people but I just think it's necessary to continuously be like questioning the world questioning yourself and questioning these practices and as much as I can bring in and elevate voices such as yourself um I will always do that because this is where I learn and this is where I grow um and yeah you've certainly helped me (laughs) through the years and um and nourished me in so many of the practices you've given me I still do you would have been proud of me this morning I did my dry brushing I had my sesame oil (laughs) yeah so thank you for the work that you do in the world and thank you for the acknowledgement. And I know we're, we're close up or we're just past the hour. And I wanted um, to, to ask you one more question if you have the space and time. Yeah. So um, I have a, I feel like maybe a lot of us do sort of, and I think I've heard you speak about this before, where sometimes we're a little bit closeted about our spirituality. Um, You know, I certainly shied away for many years of talking about God or the divine or, um, and I think that part of this podcast for me is like an outing (laughs) more of, of my spiritual life. And it's hard to have those conversations over Instagram or even in my sub stack. I just feel like it's never enough and, um, and wanting to talk, to speak more about it. And so my curiosity is just your own definition of divine or God or source, which I know is ineffable and completely hard to put into words, but (laughs) I think, um, if I were to just, come from the top of my head it's nature like there's no denial that the divine exists if I just look at nature and you know there's there's this meme I saw recently and it was like like this guy with the crying face and he's like this world is it a horrible awful disgusting place and then like in the second one um he's like seeing a lot of like animals and trees and stuff and he's like oh never mind and that's that's how I really feel is there's no denying that the divine exists if nature is there and we can experience it that's that tells me everything i need to know i always feel like when i run out of words and i run out of language the language of the divine is nature and for me devotion prayer longing love um all of the ritual ritual all of those things are a way to connect to the divine and an expression, like in my small little human form that I get to connect with something that is so magnanimous. And, you know, for me, Sikhi and the lineage that I come from and seeing how my gurus 
created this life path and the values are really earn an honest living, give back to your community, share it, um, and be, be a person that is spiritually connected to the divine, but contribute to the world that you're in. That to me is, is my greatest value system. And, and I have to always keep coming back to it. So beautiful. Thank you for that. I just, it's my favorite question to ask. And I think it's so beautiful to hear the answers and, and, um, nature is it and I always I feel it through you when you post like a a a flower from is it your mother's garden or is it your in my grandmother's grandmother's garden she she has her garden but it's like that's a weekly ritual for me it's flowers yeah I, I didn't even get to talk about my my most potent favorite medicine um that's 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 it right there it's how can you not look at a flower and see god I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Yesterday I was walking into this high school and I was just, you know, feeling the nerves you get before you speak in front of people. And there was just like, you know, a lot of like dying and decaying things around me. And then there was just this one red rose right in front of the school. And I was like, that's all I needed. That that was just my one sign. I'm divinely protected and held. I know exactly how I need to show up now. And so I just, so I, I feel like I, I wait for those posts on Instagram to come through and see those beautiful flowers. And that's been such a journey for me coming back to, I'm a Libra and coming back to beauty and, and, and seeing beauty as a pathway to, to liberation and enlightenment. I I, I never thought that was, that could be true. You know, I thought that beauty was frivolous or I saw, you know, beauty being one way, a standard in which we all need to uphold, but what true beauty is. Um, I started a garden this year, you know, like, um, just coming back to the way beauty makes me feel, lighting a candle, being in ritual, um, how I treat myself, smells, scents, all of those sort of connections um, have brought me so much deeper on my path. And it was like, this could be true. This could be real. Yeah, that beauty is absolutely. a way um, for me to feel this way. And and um, you're just such an embodiment of that. Mm-hmm. So thank you for showing that and, and sharing that with the world. Thank you. That, that means a lot because that's my, I'm like, I always want to be like, like an expression of a flower, like smelling good, all the things. And, and when people, you know, are in my presence, like I want them to like, know that yes, adornment, beauty, there's a reason why all these things were so much a part of, um, like divination, occult work, spirituality, because they all are a pathway to the divine. And, you know, one thing like before we close is like, more and more, I I think to myself, like, if I were to have a meeting with God, goddess, this divine energy, how would I show up? I would want to look my best. I would want to feel my best. I would want to smell my best. I would want to just be adorned in like the most beautiful things and come with the most beautiful offerings I could find. And I want my life to be like that meeting as much as I can. So when I I'm having reverence for myself and this energy that's around all the time, which is God, goddess. I don't want to show up stinky and shitty and low vibrational. You know, there's, there's times when that happens. And there was times when I lived in that space for many years because I had nothing nourishing me. But now it's like in this phase of my life, I want to be an offering to the divine 
in this model mm. in the way that I offer myself and my work and my existence. Yeah, that is gives me chills. I love that explanation. And to me, it's like this reframing, right? As women were taught, you know, it's like, my mom's always like, wear lip, put some lipstick on, like brush your hair, like, you know, and, and this sort of old paradigm of beauty to, to what you're speaking of. It's like my cup runneth over. There's so much beautiful energy emerging within myself mm-hmm. and that how I dress and adorn myself is a reflection of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and how I show up and, and, um, and present myself, not to the world, not for the male gaze, but for, for the divine. Um, and that just, and then, and cause it's so interesting. Cause I felt like when I wanted to be taken more seriously in my career, it's like, Oh, maybe I'll stop wearing makeup or maybe I'll stop loving. I love, I'm a Libra. I love clothing and I love, you know, textures and I love all of these things. And I felt like I sort of had to deny myself that felt quote unquote more spiritual. And I think coming back into, um, you know, I've sort of been on this Mary Magdalene journey and sort of deep into the work of, of um, uh, different goddesses. And it's like, no, it's all about beauty and the way you adorn yourself and, and coming back to that. So the way I do my hair or put makeup on um, has a totally different intention of when I used to do it, like going to the club when I was like 20, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think, again, that also comes in cycles because I'm a person who's constantly morphing. Like there's times where then I don't want any of it. I don't want anything on me. I don't want any adornments. I want to wear like my white linens and that's okay too. It's, it's about the frequency behind it, you know? And I think, yeah, it's, it's about having the awareness and, and really knowing yourself and knowing, um, why you do something and Mm -hmm. having intentionality behind it. And, um, just really giving yourself permission to be alive. Like women are suppressed all day long from like before we're even out of the womb. And as a brown woman, I can attest to that. Like it's been something I've battled my entire existence. And it's just like, I just give myself permission like to play, like fuck around and find out. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote, I I have this little, like my little prompter and I had written a piece of, um, uh, reclaiming my vessel and there's just it's like right in front of me and it says before I even entered the world there was a war on this body and it's uh, so powerful and, and to hear you speak now sort of being you know your ancestors revolution and and really what it means to make peace with your body and adorn your body or not but being really in choice of how you use your vital life force energy it's just so inspiring so thank you. I could sit here all day with you, Navi. I, I'm like, come to LA, come hang out. Let's go to the garden. Um, is there anything else you want to share about? Um, we didn't even talk about Beauty Bestie. You you co-founded a company this year or was it last year? Um, I'd love for you just to shout it out because the skincare gummy is like amazing. And it, like I had to fight my husband for it because I was like, did you eat all my gummies? Like they're so delicious. And so, um, yeah, I'd love for you just to share a little bit about, cause you're just always creating so much beauty and, um, yeah. Where can people find that and where can people find you? Absolutely. So yeah, that is another offering, um, and something I'm building. The uh, brand is called beauty bestie. You can find us on Instagram shop beauty bestie and our first product, um, again, to support with that, like inner outer well-being, is a skincare gummy. And it has some like beautiful, 
plant ingredients that help support that inner skin health because again you know everything starts from the inside out um and we launched earlier this year in spring um you can find the gummy on amazon and my offerings as always are um available on my website nubbygillwellness.com and instagram is where i tend to share the most um, information just because I get to share through photos <laughs> and pretty things. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's all up there. So if anyone has any questions, I can support you in any way. Um, just that's where you can find me. Yeah. And your, your Instagram and your website is just full of resources. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I feel like you're always posting things that are really topical, whether it's how to support yourself during the season, um, et cetera. And so, yeah, yeah. I just learned so much from you and it's there. There's so many, there's a um, lot of guides. Resources. Yeah. There's a lot of guides yeah. in my Navi notes that you can go back, you know, from the very basics of what is Ayurveda to like more in-depth, um, seasonal guides. They're all available for you as my offering back to back to the community thank you for your time navi and your heart and your work and your service in this world and thank you for just being such an embodiment of of integrity and authenticity it's just such a pleasure um to speak with you today so thank you thank you for having me and i can't wait to hear the rest of the guests and their journeys with you thank you for being such a beautiful host and friend thank you okay bye, bye.